Open your Bibles, please, again to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. What a day we get to have in the Lord, working our way toward His table, in which we remember His death till He comes for us. The feast of the New Testament church. Ephesians chapter 3, in that wonderful 8th verse, our beloved brother Paul writing to us, unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Thank you, brothers Paul, Charlie, and Shane for reading us those passages of Scripture that prepare our hearts and minds and are part of our worship to cram as much of the Word of God into our services as we can because the Bible says, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And His Word will not return to Him void, but it will bear fruit in our lives, and man shall not live by bread alone, but by every Word of God. The unsearchable riches of Christ. Let's consider the parties involved to help us estimate Christ's riches briefly. Who demanded payment of these riches. Jehovah God, perfect, unmoved in burning holiness, demanded payment. It's valuable for us to consider who demanded payment and the holy God of heaven did. What if the penalty is not paid? Eternal torment in the lake of fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Does this God deserve such fear? Jesus taught us, fear not them which kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will tell you, whom ye shall fear, fear him which after he hath killed, hath power to cast both body and soul into hell. What was the payment he needed? The humiliation, the torment, and the death of his son. What did you contribute to the deal? Absolutely nothing and less than nothing, for you were a demerited enemy rebel scum. We weren't just unmerited standing before God. We had demerited all his favor and in fact had merited eternal torment. What did you get out of the deal? Pardon for all capital crimes and an eternity in heaven. How many obtained this benefit? A multitude of all nations that no man can number, according to the book of Revelation. The unsearchable riches of Christ. How long will the benefit last? 10,000 eternities, and then it will have just begun. What is its rate of depreciation? There is no decay or reduction by supplies of infinite deity, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Let us be the greatest lovers of Christ the world has ever seen, not for our praise and glory, but all for the glory and praise of Jesus Christ. What cannot be known about these unsearchable riches? Most everything, since God is infinite and we finite. What can be known about it? The price paid 
the death of His Son, the penalty avoided, hell fire forever, and the glory obtained, the sons of God forever owned by God in Jesus Christ as His brethren. How high does God consider it? The result of infinite wisdom applied for His glory. Infinite wisdom, as Ephesians 1.8 told us, the wisdom and prudence of God abounded in the plan of salvation for us. It is the unsearchable riches of Christ. What did Jesus get for making payment? Promotion of the man Christ Jesus to the throne of the universe. Praise His glorious name. He saw the joy that was set before Him, and He endured the cross and the shame of it, and is set down at the right hand of the majesty on high with all angels, principalities, and powers, might, thrown and dominions, far beneath Him. What a throne He has. And we sit with Him vitally already, and we shall sit with Him physically soon when He comes for the redemption of the purchased possession, because He's bought our bodies. And though we die, which is to go to sleep in Jesus, and our spirits are immediately with the Lord, He will come and get those bodies as well, and our bodies will be together forever with the Lord. How do we best summarize our riches in Christ? Well, well, we go to chapter 3 and verse 18. And it says, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height of the love of Christ. So let's try that for a moment. There's four dimensions. You say, I thought there were only three. Well, read your Bible better next time. There's four dimensions for the love of Christ. First of all, it's breadth. How broad is the love of Christ? It's so broad that with Gentiles large in this context... His love was wide enough for them. The riches of Christ and Christ's love for the Gentiles was broad enough. The width from side to side, not the width from end to end, but the width from side to side is the breadth. How broad was it to gather in the Gentiles? The Lord Jesus Christ said in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. And there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Isn't that wonderful? Is the love of Christ and the the riches of Christ broad to take us all in? Thank you, Lord. There's a multitude in heaven from every kindred, every tongue, every people, and every nation. In Jesus Christ, there is no Jew. There is no Greek. There's no barbarian, Scythian, bond-free, male or free male. That is broad. It says to know the breadth of the love of Christ. From Ephesians 3 and verse 18, God in Christ set their loving favor on a perfect Zacharias and the injurious Saul of Tarsus. Is that broad? Luke chapter 1 tells us that Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth were blameless. And Saul of Tarsus, injurious and malicious, a blasphemer against Christ, is the love of Christ and the riches of Christ broad enough to get them both? Easily. Saving a Canaanite woman. Even though he said, it is not fit to give the children's bread to dogs just to see if 
Oh, he knew that she had faith to handle that little setback of dissuasion. She was like Ruth with Naomi. Naomi telling Ruth to go back to her people. And Naomi said, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. Your God will be my God. Your people, my people. Your cemetery, my cemetery. No way am I going back. That woman didn't give up either, did she? The breadth, the breadth of the love of Christ. I thought he was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel only. Oh, there were little tastes of him gathering in the Gentiles, even during his earthly ministry. Even though he said that, he saved a Canaanite woman and her daughter. He saved the Ethiopian eunuch, the Italian centurion, and the Philippian jailer. Is that breadth that you like? Thank you, Lord. He reaches across both the Atlantic Ocean and 2,000 years of time to find each of us. The breadth of the riches of Christ. Well, it says the length. How long is the love of Christ? With election and predestination large in the context of chapter 1, His love began before earth or time. Because He set His love upon us and chose us in Christ where our riches are before the foundation of the world. With all ages and world without end nearby, in verse 21 of this chapter, just three verses later, His love will never vary at all but extend into the far eons of the future that we call eternity. How long is the love of Christ? He has always loved us, and He will always love us. How else do you want to measure it? Before the mountains were brought forth, the Lord Jehovah loved us through Christ Jesus, in whom He had chosen us. The Bible says He loves His people with an everlasting love. So He draws us with loving kindness. Of the future end of His love, there is no end. Because the Bible says, our beloved brother Paul, for I am persuaded that neither life nor death nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things to come nor things present nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God. And where is that love? In Christ Jesus our Lord. He is and will save them to the uttermost. As Charlie read to us, and that term uttermost is a description of time because he does not die like every other priest in the Bible, so he is able to save us to the uttermost. Uttermost. Think most, then think uttermost in time, and he's still loving, still saving, still interceding for us after that. Everyone else will change, including their love for you, but neither he nor His love will ever change forever. You were promised eternal life and your name written down before the world began. He promised He will never leave you nor forsake you, and He cannot change. And those two statements are in the same context. That is Hebrews 13, 5 and 8. He hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Jesus Christ, the same, yesterday, today, and forever. If he said yesterday that he will never leave you nor forsake you, he means it today, and you can count on it for tomorrow. That's the length of the unsearchable riches of Christ. So we scratch the surface with our keys. That's all we're doing. What do you, who do you want to tell me about? You want to tell me about Tom Brady? The quarterback of the New England Patriots? You want to tell me about LeBron, the king? King James? Does that make you a little uncomfortable whenever you see that? That's a basketball player for the Cleveland Cavaliers, brother. 
Oh, the world gets excited about non-heroes. We have a conquering prince who is our royal lover forever. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ. But it says, the depth. How deep does the love of Christ go? Saul of Tarsus was the pattern for how deep it goes. Saul said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. But he had mercy on me to be a pattern forever for those that would believe on him to life everlasting. He is the pattern because God reached down and saved Saul of Tarsus. He can handle you with no problem. You aren't very deep compared to Saul of Tarsus. And he saved Saul. And look what he did with Saul. Did he change Saul's heart about the Lord Jesus Christ? From, from King Agrippa, I verily thought within myself that I ought to do many things contrary to Jesus of Nazareth. Two, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, and so forth. And that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. How deep does it go? It found and honored the sinner woman despised by Simon the Pharisee. Are you familiar with, familiar with Luke chapter 7 verses 36 through 50? Where Jesus went and ate with Simon the Pharisee and a woman that was a sinner from that city came in and washed his feet and bathed them with her tears and kissed them and wiped them with the hairs of her head after anointing them with oil. It found and honored her. The Lord Jesus Christ and the exceeding riches of his grace toward her defended her in the face of Simon the Pharisee and his buddies. It found a wee man hiding in a sycamore tree who was a traitor to Israel by being a publican for the Roman Empire. Oh, Zacchaeus, there's ten verses in our Bibles about Jesus reaching down into the depths but finding him up in a tree and going to his house that day for lunch and saying, Today, salvation is come to this house. It found the thief on the cross who asked Jesus and learned salvation. And if you had been there, you would have said that's nothing but a claim for fire insurance. But Jesus said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. He reached down to a man who didn't get serious about the things of God until near his last breath. But he reached deep enough because the love of Christ goes deep. It found Peter after both debacles of his in denying his Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and in playing the hypocrite in Antioch of Syria before Paul and Barnabas and the rest of the disciples there to lead on among the apostles and to write two epistles that have his name. The love of Christ, it will find and raise your corrupted carcass from the earth one day soon. That's how deep he'll go. He'll go right down through the ceiling, right down through the floorboards, right down into the ground, right down through six feet of dirt, through the concrete vault, and into that casket that was locked tight. And he'll take up whatever little bit is left there that hasn't run out the drain hole. And he'll put it together again. Because it's the breadth and the length and the depth of the love of Christ. How high does the love of Christ go? Because Paul tells us if we're going to try to summarize it, we need to look at four dimensions. It reaches to God's throne where you will sing with David and the angels the song of the redeemed. We love Revelation chapter 5. You're going to be in Revelation chapter 5. 
Those four and twenty elders are there representing you because when they sing, they say that He has redeemed a multitude that no man can number. It will glorify your body into a spiritual one like Jesus already has. You will be able to fly out of the gravitational pull of this world right through the clouds, the interstellar spaces, and into the presence of God. That's how high it reaches. It reaches high enough to satisfy the justice and holiness of infinite Jehovah. That's higher than I can tell you about. Because it's infinite. It reaches high enough to cover the mountain of sins that you have committed in your time. That's how high it goes. It will carry you high enough to escape the pull of this planet. It will energize and fuel the angelic chariot to carry your spirit all the way to heaven. That's how far it's going to carry you. This is the love of Christ in four dimensions. I'm sorry that I can only scratch the surface with my keys. Well, how else do we summarize it? Let's try Romans 5, where Paul tries to summarize it. My son Daniel could barely read the words this morning from Romans 5, 6 through 11. That was wonderful. It blessed my heart. Another big big brother in here who's like that said he wanted to come up and just give you a big hug. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. But you know, Daniel read to verse 11. Verses 6 through 11 are wonderful verses about the love of Christ, the love of God for us, and Christ dying for us. But remember, it says much more than. There is something in some way that is much more than Jesus dying for us. There is something in Romans 5, in Romans 8, and Hebrews 7 that is much more than Jesus dying for us. It's Him now living for us. So it says in verse 9, much more than being now justified by His blood, that's His death, we shall be saved from wrath through Him, that's His life. Look at verse 10. Here's the explanation of verse 9. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more. I'm not making this up. This is God the Holy Spirit wanting us to understand the riches, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. It is not just a legal transaction on the cross of Calvary. There is His personal presence at the right hand of God where He pleads His blood and argues on our behalf as a lawyer for our souls. He will never be defeated. He is the judge's son. Can you think of a better lawyer? Do you know what kind of a lawyer I want? Brother, do you remember when we went to court once and we agreed that why in the world didn't we hire a lion and we got stuck paying for a lamb? Do you remember that conversation we had? Well, the Lord Jesus Christ is both. Do you know what he's like with his father? A lion. Do you know what he's like with me? A lamb. He's a lion and a lamb. What an attorney he is. I'm serious. When you get to heaven, you're going to want a lawyer. Because there's going to be a judge sitting at a throne. But do you know what he thinks of the lawyer? He just keeps looking over at him. He just keeps looking over at him. My firstborn, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That's the lawyer that we have 
for all those that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I wanted verse 12. Do you know that Romans 5, 12 through 19 is the great doctrine of representation? That if you're one of God's elect, if you've believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've had two representatives in your life. The first one you had stood in for you 6,000 years before you were born and condemned you to a threefold death. Physical death, spiritual death, the second death, which is the lake of fire. The second representative you had was 2,000 years ago. And instead of eating off a tree, he hung on a tree and took by obedient death all the transgression of the first Adam, all your transgressions, and we will get to eat of a third tree called the tree of life when we're in heaven. What do you think about the unsearchable riches of Christ? This is what Romans 5, 12 through 19 are about. But but we're trying to summarize the the unsearchable riches of Christ. And when Paul Paul in Romans 12, chapter 5, verses 12 through 14, he says that these two representatives have things in common. So he calls... Adam, at the end of the 14th verse, who is the figure of him that was to come. There are similarities between Adam and Jesus. But then, to help us summarize the unsearchable riches of Christ, he wants to point out three inferior aspects of the first Adam. And the first Adam is weighty and powerful. How many souls have been conceived in the history of the world since Adam and Eve? Do you want to say 50 billion? That one act of representative sin on their behalf has damned the entire race to sin. Babies die. Babies die. There is no such thing as an age of accountability. The age of accountability was exceeded by Adam in the Garden of Eden. He wasn't ten. He was a full-grown man with great intellectual capacity. He walked with God. There was no temptation. He hadn't been to a bad seminary, and he wasn't reading a false Bible version. He knew exactly what he was doing, and he stood in for us, and he damned 50 billion souls in the history of the world to threefold death. Babies and old people, it doesn't make a wit's bit of difference. If you didn't sin at all, you'd still go to hell because of the sin of Adam. There's similarities, but there's some dissimilarities. Watch. And I want you to be looking for the word not, which means the similarity breaks down because it is the unsearchable riches of Christ that exceed the searchable damnation of Adam. Watch. 15. But not. See? You got a negative. Do you know what that not, that not means? We've got a negative to the comparison between Adam and Christ. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. The comparison between Adam and Christ starts to break down when quality is considered. Romans 5.15 is quality. If you write in your Bibles, 15, 16, and 17 are hard to understand. But verse 15 is quality comparison. Verse 16 is quantity comparison. And verse 17 is reigning power and dominion comparison. And Adam breaks down and Jesus Christ survives. And we are trying to summarize 
the unsearchable riches of Christ. In verse 15, it's quality that is being compared. The one, if through the offense of one, that's Adam sinning, many be dead, much more. There is a qualitative superiority to Jesus Christ in this way. It is the grace of God that's involved rather than His judgment. The Bible says His judgment is a strange work. But brother, are you ready for it now? Jerry, are you ready for it now? The God of all grace. Grace rejoices against judgment. Mercy rejoices against judgment. He is the God of all grace. So the qualitative comparison starts to break down because in Jesus Christ we have the grace of God, we have the gift by grace, and there's a man involved, and the man involved is the Lord Jesus Christ, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Yes, Adam was the figure of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are both representatives of their people. If you were ever conceived as a human being, Adam was your representative. If you were ever chosen in Christ, he he is your representative. Therefore, as in Adam all die, 1 Corinthians 15, 22, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But the comparison breaks down because of quality. Jesus Christ is superior to Adam. Romans 5, 15. Now we go to 16. And not, look at that little negative stuck in there. The comparison starts to break down. And not, as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation. But the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. The comparison is quantity. Adam just sinned once. And so God held one sin by one man against the entire race. But how about the victory of Christ on the cross? Many offenses. Have you contributed more than one yourself? More than two? Anybody in here contribute more than three? Oh, Lord. It's a mountain. Quantity. For those of you that have done variance, and let's just leave the accountants out of it. We can't account for this. That's why it's called unsearchable. But if you've ever done variance analysis, we're doing a quality variance analysis. Then we have to do a quantity variance analysis. And when we multiply those two variances against each other, we have a reigning dominion variance that is in the next verse. But do you understand verse 16? If God would hold one offense against the race, and if God would be strict and severe in His holiness by one offense, what in the what is He going to do when Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, has paid for many offenses? It is superior in quantity. That's verse 16. It's comparison of the one versus the many. Verse 17, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, notice the comparison here, much more, they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. This is life now. This is life then. It's eternal life. If by one man's offense death reigned and death did reign, Death reigned even over babies that had never broken a law. Romans 5, 12 through 14. Verse 14 teaches us that even if they had not committed a sin themselves, they were held responsible for Adam's sin. And verse 17 is saying one man's death, one man's offense, death reigned. That means death had dominion and everyone was a slave to death. 
But in Christ Jesus, much more, they which receive abundance of grace because He's the God of all grace. Jerry, are you still thinking with me? I know you are, brother. Remember, you started this at break time. You told me that you are still worked up about 1 Peter 5.10 where it says He's the God of all grace. The abu- shall receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one. Do you think that your salvation is sort of queasy? Shaky? Maybe it's not going to happen? Are you kidding? Have you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you love Him right now? Do you know what God's giving you? He's giving you an accounting variance analysis right now. In verse 15, it's a quality comparison. In verse 16, it's a quantity comparison. In verse 17, it is a reigning power comparison and dominion comparison. And who wins? The unsearchable riches of Christ win. And we could go on down through there, but we want to go to 20 because Paul's going to give us another idea on how to scratch the paint. Verse 20, moreover. Oh, I love that word. Do you know what that word means? It means I'm not done yet. I gave you verses 6 through 11 and you should have been excited. I gave you 12 through 19 and you should have been excited. I got a little bit more. Do you know how Elihu would put it in the book of Job? Suffer me a little. I have yet to speak on behalf of my maker. (laughs) Oh, Elihu, bring it on. Vent that wine bottle that was about to blow up in chapter 32 and tell us what's on your mind. Moreover, this is a new thought. The law entered. Mount Sinai. The law entered. Moses, shaking Mount Sinai. Ten commandments. Hundreds of laws. Given in the first five books of the Bible. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. This is the Apostle Paul by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit trying to help us estimate the unsearchable riches of Christ. So this now he's going to compare it against the law. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. The sin nature that we got from Adam and Adam's sin and how it corrupted the race is going to be exposed by the, the commandments of God. A multitude of those commandments. The law entered that the offense might abound. God gave the law to show us our exceeding sinfulness. God did not give the law to save anyone and never crossed His mind. He gave the law to prove that we, He needed to save us and we couldn't save ourselves. That we would just continually damn ourselves by breaking every one of His laws. Moreover, the law entered. The the commandments came at Mount Sinai through Moses that the offense might abound, that sin just might be more and more. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death. If you're afraid of verses 12 through 14, and you should be, because death reigns. It is clutching at every one of you right now. It is sucking the life out of your body. It is tearing apart your internal organs. It is weakening you and taking you down to the ground because of our first father Adam. But death reigned, but much more that as sin hath reigned, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life. By whom? By what? By Jesus Christ our Lord. The unsearchable riches of Christ. You say, I didn't understand that law part. Then flip back one page to Romans chapter 3. 
Romans chapter 3, verse 19. Now we know. This is something we are supposed to know. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets like Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22, even the righteousness of God which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of of God to declare, I say at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. The exceeding sinfulness of sin, Romans 7, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty. But there's a declaration made from heaven. Jesus Christ has satisfied me. My righteousness is upon my people. They are clothed in my righteousness. They are perfectly righteous. They are made accepted in the beloved. They are mine. No one will ever pluck them out of my hand. The unsearchable riches of Christ. I'm sorry, Lord. You've heard enough for today. We have more to do. I have a flock of sheep before me. They're not all rams. I have pages and pages and pages by God's love for his ass. And it's been my pleasure to scratch the surface of the unsearchable riches of Christ. And may this church always, forever, in all of its membership, in all of its activities, in all that we say and do, keep the Lord Jesus Christ preeminent. Oh, my brethren, if you will just seek the Lord Jesus Christ, learn of Him, learn at His feet, learn His doctrine, learn His words, the wholesome words of the Lord Jesus Christ as Paul called them to Timothy, the rest of your life will fall into place. It'll be easy to be a wife. It'll be easy to be a husband. It'll be easy to be a child. It'll be easy to be a parent. If you will put Christ first and love Him, there is no one else that can compete with Him. No one else can replace him. And if you think the subject is boring and dull, you're dead. Arise from the dead and Christ shall give thee light. We have other things to do for his honor and glory. Don't worry. I'm not going to shortchange him or you in the long run. But today we need to move to some other things. Are you ready to sing his praises for a little, for a couple minutes right now? before the Lord's Supper? Well, let's give Him our glories. You have something that hangs between your jaws. It's called your glory in the Bible. It's because that's the tool that God's given us to glorify Him. And it, it's the best I've ever experienced in my life is to glorify the Lord. You can go anywhere else in the world. You can spend whatever. You can think that it's cool. You can think that it's important. But there's nothing more pleasant 
to a person that loves the Lord Jesus Christ that has believed on Him than to sing His praise, to preach His praise, to hear His praise, to hear His Word read. Let's do that for a few minutes and then we'll come to the Lord's table. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word.